Hi, everybody. My name is Erica. I'm a compulsive overeater and a 100-pounder. And uh, thank you to Sue for asking me to speak tonight. I always um, am happy and honored to speak on any at any OA meeting, but uh, the 100-pounders meeting always holds a special place for me. Uh, there were times in my recovery where I was um, chronically ill for a number of years, and I couldn't go to many face-to-face -face meetings at all. And the phone meetings, especially this particular 100-pounders meeting every night uh, was a lifesaver for me. So um, I currently have 16 years of abstinence out of uh, my last relapse. I've had two uh, gloriously painful and excruciating relapses, and um, I'm maintaining about a 90-pound weight loss. It was over 100 pounds. Um, I'm working to get back to that 100-pound weight loss, uh, but menopause has had other ideas about <laughs> for my body, um, but I will get into that um, shortly. So um, I have a very uh, long story, and I don't, I cannot tell all of it in 20 minutes, but I'll give you the highlights. Um, I first came in in 1991. I was 19 years old, and my mother, who is my binge buddy, stopped binging with me and had gone to OA. And she was my Eskimo, but thank God she didn't try to force her hand or force me to go to OA. She didn't push me or prod me. She just led by example. And it, did, it really did help that I had nobody to binge with anymore. Um, I grew up in a household where my mother, I'm an only child, and my mother was my everything. My best friend, my um, my only parent, and uh, interestingly, at a, a certain age, nine years old, my mom stopped using drugs, and I became the parent because she couldn't function fully uh, in the world. So having said that, I came in in, in 91, and I proceeded to work the steps. I had a sponsor. I lost a good amount of weight. My top weight was 250 pounds. And I got down to a decent weight, not quite into the healthy body weight range. And um, I was really not happy about it. And I started to take my will back and I started to eat. And I only had a couple meetings I went to a week and I had a falling out with my sponsor and a falling out with the people that my, my couple of friends in OA, and I, I didn't have the wherewithal to go to different meetings. I knew nothing about phone meetings. Um, but a couple of really important things happened during those five, six years that I was in. One was that I came in as an agnostic and um, was very, very afraid of dying and had a lot of night terrors over that. Um, and somewhere in the, those first couple of years in program and with my, within my abstinence, I was in a meeting and I heard a woman speaking and she shared about her higher power and something about it so deeply touched me. I had this wave that I, a wave of emotion. I was overcome and I, I believe that was probably one of the most powerful, if not the most powerful spiritual experiences I've ever had. And that was the moment where I, for me, realized that there was a God and my higher power was God. And the other important thing that happened, um, was that I really, it was entrenched in me that this was the only way I was going to ever get better, was OA, and that I needed to work the steps. Having said that, I did leave after those, the, probably around the sixth year. I was bitter. I was angry. I was eating. I had taken can, a candle, not thinking or knowing if I was abstinent or not, which was, for me is a horrible feeling. 
And uh, I left for eight years and, and dabbled in other addictions, one of which was love addiction. Um, seems to be very tied, it was tidely, it was tied together very neatly with the abandonment of my, in, both of my parents abandoned me as a child uh, many times, uh, especially my mom. And uh, having your father leave you as a baby, it, it sets you up. <laughs> it sets you up for kind of this feeling of like, I need a man to make me feel better, or I need something outside of myself to feel better. So that with the, the eating, it was like a yo-yo between dieting and wanting the attention of a man, and it just went back and forth. And so, needless to say, I got to got to my knees um, in an emotional bottom in 2002, and I was ready to come back to OA for good. I I had come a few times and visited over those five years, but um, or those eight years, excuse me. But I just wasn't willing, and I was just really petulant. I didn't want to know about any of it. But in 2002, I came back in. I got a sponsor. I worked the steps. I followed directions to the best of my ability, and I became abstinent again. Um, and that lasted for three years. I got down to a healthy body weight. And guess what? This time it wasn't good enough for me. Just, just the same as last time. But this time I was thinner. And I was angry that I still had a big stomach. And I still didn't have men wanting to date me. And I didn't have, you know, and I'm somebody when I, I'm, I dropped out of high school. I didn't achieve the goals I wanted to achieve. I didn't have a relationship. I missed out on a lot of the normal things that people experience at, at that age because of my relationship with food. And so, unfortunately, I took my will back. That was the, the beginning of the end for me in this last relapse. And it was, I could say it was the perfect storm. I was physically ill. I was on a bunch of medications to try to help with the illness. Um, I ended up being in a position, a job, where I was told if I didn't pass a very, very stringent and very difficult exam, I would be fired, and I let my, I just started eating. Um, but as I trace it back, it was not about any of those things. It was about the fact that I took my will back, and I said, okay, God, I don't like the results of my turning my will over to you, and so therefore, I'm going to try to control this thing on my own. And that's the insanity of it. I love step two in the AA 12 and 12. And OA 12 and 12 talks about it as well. I am not sane when it comes to food and to a lot of other things. But with food, I cannot be trusted. My, my disease talks to me in my own voice. It's been talking to me for my entire lifetime. It's very convincing. And while it says things like, you need this to survive, Oh, just this once, it'll be okay. You can start tomorrow. In reality, my disease wants me to die. It wants me to die. And it wants me to die in a very painful way. First, it will take away everything that is dear to me, and then I will be killed because I I'm convinced this is a deadly disease. I've heard too many stories of people dying of this disease physically, you know, from the after effects and also taking their life because they cannot take the pain. And I know for me that when I am eating, there is nothing more excruciating than eating. The, the guilt, the shame, the pain, 
the foods I choose to eat, I'm usually physically allergic to, not just the allergy of the body that it talks about in the big book, not just the obsession of the mind, but I'm physically allergic to most of the foods I, I used to binge on. So my relapse was, it started out as a slow creep. I gained 24 pounds, and then it became an explosion. And I thought that if I laminated a card with my abstinent foods on it, like the foods I had to abstain from, that I would be somehow safe from eating those foods. And that was not the case. I ate all of those foods and then some. I gained almost all of my weight back. I got up to 222 pounds. I had two pairs of clothing I could wear that I was already wearing the legs out from, you know, from rubbing my legs together. And in the beginning, I was quiet in my meetings. I never left. I, I knew better than to leave because I have watched people leave and leave for one year, five years, 30 years, 40 years, and some to never come back at all. So I knew that if I left, I, I may not come back. And what I started to do was um, through that, I think it was seven or eight months of excruciating pain, I started to pour on as much recovery as I could, as, much, as many meetings as I could. I was looking for a sponsor because mine had relapsed and I was begging people to sponsor me. And I had some days where I really didn't care and I wanted to eat what I wanted to eat because the disease had me in its grip. But there was the other part of me that desperately wanted recovery and that saw the light in people's eyes in meetings and that heard it. I could hear it. Even if I didn't look at somebody, if I were on a phone meeting, I can hear the recovery. I can hear that that beautiful thing that happens when you go to bed abstinent and sober with food and you wake up and you're not hungover and you have a whole fresh beautiful day in front of you where you don't wish you were dead because of what you did to yourself the night before or even a few hours before. Um, <clears throat> so I just worked and worked and worked and prayed and begged and started sharing at meetings and outing myself that I was eating and outing myself that I was I was miserable and and something started to shift and I remember I was at a, I share about this all the time I was at a um, a hundred pounders meeting in Reseda California and I was standing behind a podium sharing and crying and there was a sign up, a banner up on the wall that said abstinence is the most important thing without exception. And I remember just looking at that and saying to everybody, when am I going to make abstinence the most important thing in my life without exception? Before anything, before a job, before a family member, before a loved one, before anything, um, I desperately wanted that back. And within, I feel, I don't know if it was that next day or the day after, but I became abstinent. And I always like to think of it as I poured enough program on the problem until the scales were tipped 51% in the favor of recovery. But I also like to think of it in this other way that was told to me, that once the pain of eating becomes too great, when it becomes greater than the pain of recovery, that's when I was willing to stop and put the fork down. And I tell you, I had to do things meal by meal for like the first few days. I would text a fellow, a trusted fellow in the room, 
and say, I want a hot fudge sundae right now, but I'm going to wait until my next meal to have it. And for, for this meal, I'm going to have a salad. And that's how I did it. I did it and I kept praying because I knew that I was powerless over food. And I really desperately wanted this, this abstinence back. And so, gosh, that was 16 and a half years ago. And what I learned from that relapse was that no matter what, I have to go to God and my program, my sponsor and my fellows before I turn to the food. It is not me doing it by any means whatsoever, but a decision had to be made within my heart, my, my, my mind, that I had to go no matter what to something other than food. And I have, Lord knows, I have tried to try, to, I've tried to stop eating on my own and I can't. So it talks about in the big book about lack of power is my dilemma. I also had to get, and I got in my relapse that I am powerless over food to my core, to my bones. Um, I thought and I was told by certain fellows that the fact that I came into the rooms and said I was a compulsive overeater was, was step one. And for me, that wasn't enough. I had to really concede to my innermost self that I could not win this thing. Somebody's unmuted. Um, and so the other thing was to get very clear on my alcoholic foods. So I have my abstinence today is I eat three meals and up to three snacks, nothing in between. That is my abstinence. Then I have my alcoholic foods, which the top two categories are recreational sugar, which is candies, cakes, cookies, and ice cream, or anything that looks like that. It could be sugar-free. Um, and then anything made of white or wheat flour. Those are the big culprits for me. If I ingest them, I am in big trouble. And then I have my, uh, my food plan. It used to be a commercial food plan, and now it's a calorie count. Um, and those three things have the same importance for me. If I were to eat my alcoholic foods, even though they're not on my abstinence, I would absolutely consider myself having broken my abstinence. I know it's kind of like splitting hairs, but I just learned the hard way, as I mentioned before, when I put all those foods on my abstinence, I had 20 or so foods, it did not keep me safe. <laughs> so having sobriety with food today is such a huge gift, a neutrality with food. I rarely have any cravings. If I do, it's because something's amiss. Either I'm not working my program strong enough or I'm not dealing with something emotionally and or I'm eating something that's triggering me. Um, it could Just be something... a reminder, five minutes left. Thank you. Thank you. Um, it could be something as silly as uh, I once was eating a hot sauce that, was, that had honey in it. And I'm one of those people that eats the same thing day in and day out. So every day I was getting a little bit of honey. And for me, honey is a problem. It causes the phenomenon of craving, albeit on um, a much milder, in a much milder way. But for me personally, honey causes me a problem. Um, I once had a discussion with my sponsor about popcorn. And I said, you know, sometimes I can eat popcorn like a lady and sometimes I can't. And she said, well, how about you just don't eat popcorn for today? When in doubt, don't. And I haven't had popcorn since that talk. And I have been fine. And so I only have a few minutes left, but I just want to say that 
really getting 100% that I'm powerless over food allows me to really place it in my higher power's hands. And the proof that I have that it works within just in viewing my own personal experience is great, but in seeing so many other people recover in these rooms or are in recovery, I don't believe I'm recovered, I'm in recovery. This is just my personal viewpoint. Um, has shown me that I can trust my higher power. And my life these days is continuing to build that faith muscle, continuing to build a trust, my trust in God. And it's not easy. I have, I grew up in a traumatic environment. I had untrustworthy parents. Um, I've had untrustworthy relationships. And I have also not been able to trust myself. And so learning to trust in my higher power is something that I wish I could say after 16 and a half years that I was good at it and that I had the faith of, you know, a holy man or a holy woman, but I, I still don't. Um, and I'm not ashamed to say that. It's just my conditioning. It's the trauma from my, my past. But I know that, you know, food is but a symptom. So when I, once I put down the food, you know, they say if you want to know why, you want to find out why you eat or why you ate, put down the food, you'll find out. And the reasons I ate pretty much boil down to the fact that I am a compulsive overeater who is maladjusted to life. I was not socialized very well as a child. I have the ism of an addiction. And I also am self-centered in the extreme. And so the more I can work my steps, I've worked through the steps many times over and over again and the more I can clean out the gunk in the fourth and fifth and the eighth and ninth step and really do a daily 10 step on looking at my part where have I been selfish self-centered where have I been afraid sharing that with my sponsor and then being of service um, I sponsor when when the when all the stars aligned properly with the, you know, when we're the right fit for each other. And that's such a gift to sponsor. I usually speak when I'm able to. Um, I've had meetings that I've started in my home and, and have carried on for a while. I've, of course, been a secretary and a treasurer and all those wonderful things. Because the less I think about myself, the happier I am. And I wish I was like an Uber service person I don't, I don't, let's not go crazy. I, I guess I wish I was less, I'm still in the self-centeredness, but I'm learning that in order to have peace, I need to think of others. I need to be of service. Um, I am in a romantic relationship for the first time in 15 years, and in, I am learning to not be so self-centered and so fear-based in that relationship. And the last thing I did say, I'm almost out of time, but I just want to say, you know, I'm entering menopause and my body decided to gain 15, 16 pounds eating the same foods, the same calories, getting even more exercise. And I've been working closely with a fellow in program and my sponsor and my doctor. And the weight has not been coming off. But everybody tells me I still look fine. And... It's me who is unhappy with this, the fact that I have gained weight um, and my ego, of course. And so I get to stay the course 
and in my 16th, going on 17th year, I get to trust in God even more. And, you know, I'm being told I'm not allowed to cut any calories. I'm not allowed to um, make this into a diet because I've been down that road before. And the frustrating part is that my food is very clean. It is weighed and measured. It is, doctor says it's very clean, wonderful food. So what is for me to do? Put it in my God box, continue to pray, continue to follow directions, and trust that it will. it is all working itself out. So that's it for me tonight. Um, thank you, everybody. And I'll go ahead and leave my number. You can call or text me anytime I'm in mountain time. My phone number is 818-414-0192.